Hi everyone, welcome to the Higher Modern Studies Walk and Talk podcast. The weather is terrible today, so apologies if you can hear the wind and the rain battering against my window. The aim of this podcast is to not only get you thinking about the approaches to welfare and state intervention, but to encourage you to take some time away from your laptop or your phone screen and listen to this week's content whilst getting some exercise outside. Don't forget to send your pictures in on the Teams assignment or through email as well. Last week, you were introduced to the principles of individualism and collectivism. Today, we are going to be examining to what extent the aims of the welfare state are being met today. We're going to look at the foundations of the welfare state, welfare in the 21st century, and the implications of COVID on welfare provision. Okay, so what is the welfare state? Well, you should already know a little bit about this, considering we have been looking at government policies all year, but maybe you don't really have an understanding of the actual concept of the welfare state. A welfare state is a form of governance in which the state plays an active role to protect people's livelihood and well-being through the provision of certain services and benefits. So in other words, it's a system where the government or the state takes responsibility for the health and well-being of its citizens. Today, our welfare state in Britain includes unemployment, medicine, education and housing. However, it's important for us to look back and kind of analyse the foundations of the welfare state. Those of you who have done higher history will know that in the 19th and early 20th century, before World War II, welfare in Britain was completely different and payments such as support for the sick, the poor, was really limited and was still overwhelmingly provided by private volunteer institutions like the workhouse. And the underlying principle, therefore, for welfare was individualism at this time. However, the collective effort in the Second World War changed this outlook. In 1941, William Beveridge made a raft of recommendations for transforming Britain and ending poverty. He wanted cradle-to-the-grave provision to tackle what he identified as the five giants that would have to be beaten if they were going to rebuild the country. Now, cradle-to-the-grave just means provision from when you are born until you, until you die. So essentially, whole life provision. There wouldn't be any person that would be excluded from this. So what were the five giants that he was talking about? These included want, which means poverty, disease, ignorance, which means education, idleness, which means unemployment, and squalor, which means housing. And the solution was a welfare state with social security, a national health service, free education, full employment, and council housing, all things that make up our kind of modern welfare state today as we know it. In order to see if these aims are still being met today, then we need to look at these founding principles. What was it that made up this first welfare state? The first principle, funnily enough, is collectivism or collectivist, that the state would fund the services that it needed through the taxation and national insurance from the public. The second key principle was the concept of the welfare state being universal. The services provided for the population would be free at the point of use when people needed it and anyone could access that. Another key principle, the third key principle, was the fact that it would be comprehensive cover. 
The state would provide for all aspects of need. It would care for the population from the cradle to the grave for any medical treatments um, that they would need. If they were out of work, then they would provide assistance. Any aspect of life that people needed help, then this welfare state would help as well. The next principle was equality. That it would be equal provision for all in all regions. So my question for you is, those key principles, collectivist, universal, comprehensive and equality or equal provision, are they still being met today? So what does this mean for welfare in the 21st century? You should already be familiar with the Welfare Reform Act, Universal Credit, etc. So I won't go into too much detail. However, one of the new approaches to welfare is considered a third way, and this is the big society. Now, The Guardian in 2012 asked a range of people, including a government minister, a council leader and a business consultant, to explain what David Cameron's policy of the big society actually meant. Their answers included building the next generation of active citizens, it's about taking time to help others, supporting people to drive change, it's about getting involved and helping in the bad times too. But what does this actually mean? Now, this third approach, this big society, is part, in part a blend of individualism and collectivism. It's relying on local communities, volunteer charities to basically step up and fill the gaps of the welfare state. And this idea of a blend of welfare provision is something that we're seeing more and more of um, as the Conservative government make new changes. And a recent speech by Damien Green MP and the Department for Working Pensions in 2016 highlighted a move away from a welfare state to more of a welfare system. So what does this actually mean and is there a difference? Well, he noted, a welfare state is not enough. We need a system that involves many players, health professionals, employers and voluntary organisations. So in his speech, he clearly showed that the Conservative government approach to welfare provision is kind of individualist or a blend. Less state intervention and welfare really should be the responsibility of the individual and by extension, their families and charity groups. So a welfare system kind of implies that it's not really the state's sole responsibility and it's more about a community effort. But to answer the question, is the welfare state meeting its founding aims today? There are some differing opinions. Let's start with the individualist point of view. So Conservative Damien Green in the same speech argues it would be wrong to say that there was a single moment in history under a single party when the current welfare system sparked into being. And of course, there will never be a point in the future when the job is done and no further reform is needed. But we can't be sentimental. Today's approach to welfare has to be significantly different from the response of Attlee's government and the beverage report. That's precisely because his report was a product of its time. Today, he argues, the government is a necessary but not sufficient provider of welfare. What it must not try to do is assume that it can provide all the help necessary. 
To achieve a successful welfare system in the 21st century, you need to give more decision-making power to individuals and give more trust to the voluntary sector and private organisations to deliver services. Critics or collectivists, however, would argue that the current welfare state is no longer fit for purpose and is pushing more vulnerable people into poverty rather than providing that safety net in times of need, particularly during COVID. One recent example is the government policy on free school meals. It's not as simple as that, is it? Because I've checked the government guidance on free school meals, the current guidance published by the Department of Education. I've got it here. It sets out example parcel for one child for five days. Department of Education, Prime Minister, you want to be held to account. One loaf of bread, two baked potatoes, block of cheese, baked beans, three individual yogurts. Sound familiar? That's the images, Prime Minister, you just called disgraceful. The only difference I can see in this list, and what the Prime Minister has described as disgraceful, is a tin of sweet corn, a packet of ham and a bottle of milk. So he blames others. But this is on his watch. The truth is, families come last under this government, whether it's exams, free school meals or childcare. As you heard in that clip there, this debate over free school meals is part of a wider debate about welfare provision. Is it the job of the government to be providing these free school meals for children during the pandemic, or is it down to food banks or other voluntary groups? So I asked political commentator Ryan Caperold for his thoughts on other approaches to welfare and examples of collectivism and individualism. And here was his response. The greatest historical comparison of both collectivism and individualism clashing is arguably the Soviet Union and the United States of America. The Soviet Union embracing ultra-collectivism or communism and the United States embracing ultra-individualism or capitalist max. Both of these conflicting ideologies raised tensions across the world for many decades during the Cold War. However, they seem to have clashed in modern day societies. For example, Britain uses a mixture of capitalism in regard to business and tax interests, however, uses collective means for key aspects of society, such as healthcare and the NHS. So as a political commentator, what he is basically saying is that the debate over welfare and approaches to welfare provision is a really long one that, you know, many countries have have really differing opinions on the best way to do it. And that even though political parties may be motivated by either individualism in terms of the Conservatives and collectivism in terms of Labour, today in Britain there does tend to be more of a mix. So even though the Conservatives are in government just now, they are focusing on more individualistic aspects like businesses and tax interests. But when it comes to the NHS, then they're going to use collectivism as an example to for everyone to pitch in basically to, to fund that. So even though these political parties might disagree on how best to approach it, in modern day 21st century uh, Britain, you have to have a kind of mixture of both. It just depends on which party is in power, whether they're leaning towards more individualism and less government intervention, or whether they are leaning to more state intervention.
So now we come on to the last part of this podcast, looking at the future of welfare provision. So moving forward, what impact do the approaches or the three approaches to welfare, individualism, collectivism, big society, have on how the government, the opposition and charitable groups and organisations and how they've responded to the coronavirus pandemic? So first, I'm going to give you a little bit of background to the state of poverty and social exclusion today in the UK. According to the Joseph Rentree Foundation, prior to coronavirus, 14.5 million people, that's one in five people, were in poverty in the UK. The average income after housing costs was lower um, in 2018-19 than it was in 2016-17 after taking into account inflation. In work poverty stood about 13% in 2018-19 and there were no benefits increase between April 2015 and March 2020. Although it's not yet certain what impact coronavirus has had on poverty or the extent of poverty, but one thing is for certain that the 2018-19 levels are only going to get worse as the government start to withdraw their support. And as you know, government responses during the pandemic have included the furlough scheme for people who cannot work and the £20 top up to universal credit. But perhaps the biggest debate that our clip mentioned earlier has been the provision of free school meals. So I'm just going to take a minute just to read you a couple of tweets from Conservative MPs or members that show you their lack of support for the free school meals campaign. So the first one is Ben Bradley and he is the Conservative MP for Mansfield. And he tweeted that one school in Mansfield, 75% of kids have a social worker and 25% of parents are illiterate. He then went on to say that this is the kind of centre for crime in that area and that basically kids live in kind of crime families and therefore the free school meals would not be helping these kids. The next is Mark Jensen uh, or Jenkinson sorry he was basically defending his colleague Bradley and said that I know in my constituency that a tiny minority as this might be that food parcels are sold or traded for drugs. Um, again saying that we can't pretend this doesn't happen, pretending to score political points helps no one. Another example is Danny Kruger who is the MP in Wiltshire and he says this is a really important and emotive topic. I understand why so many people are up in arms about it. Many families across the country are struggling to get by. Benefits provide hardly enough to live on and for some people they do not provide enough. The problem is that generous, unconditional, universal benefit entitlements trap people in dependency on the state and rightly enrage people who are working hard for themselves. That's why I believe in a more flexible community-led approach to welfare. So these are just some examples of how some Conservative MPs view the, the role of the government in state intervention. They're kind of saying, yeah, we don't want any children to go hungry, but it's not our prime responsibility. We're trying to get people um, to rely on themselves a little bit better. Scotland, the SNP have maintained more of a universal approach in the provision of free school meal lunches to all primary one to three pupils. 
However, in other areas of public health, the SNP have been heavily criticised for failing to act over the past six years and address Scotland's drug death crisis, which has reached a record total of 1,200 drug misuse deaths last year. Scotland has more drug deaths per capita than any other European country and is more than 3.5 times more likely or has 3.5 more deaths than the rest of the UK. And these latest figures also see an increase particularly among 15 to 24 year olds. So yes, we can criticise Westminster and say yes, Scotland has these free school meals, but let's not lose sight of the fact that each government um, has also been criticised in the way they have dealt with health and the way that they have handled this pandemic. Therefore, when we do eventually come out of this pandemic, there will be a lot of work needed to tackle poverty in both um, the UK and in Scotland more particular. And it's really probably, it'll be interesting to see the different approaches to welfare and how they go about tackling this deep-rooted issue of want. In summary, individualists believe that due to various 21st century demands and pressures, there is a greater need for a welfare system that doesn't rely on state intervention, but on individuals, families and charities to provide help to the most vulnerable. That the initial aims of the welfare state were a product of their time and don't fit with our modern society. Collectivists, on the other hand, argue that the provision of welfare is the responsibility of the government, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, and that the aims of the welfare state, universal, comprehensive and equality, have been undermined in favour of cuts to public services in recent years. So thank you for listening to today's podcast and a big thank you to Ryan for sending us his thoughts. If you'd like more information about a career in journalism, political commentary or even studying politics, just get in touch. Remember to join in for a live class discussion about this topic on Thursday 1.30 to 2pm. Also, any feedback on this week's task, podcast or even online learning in general is welcome. 